One of my Baptist heroes is a man named Benjamin Keach. Keach was born in 1640 in Buckinghamshire, very near where I grew up. He was baptised at 15 and became a preacher at 18. Benjamin Keach lived at a time when Baptists were heavily persecuted solely because they had left the Church of England. Despite the threats that were around, Keach held his views firmly. He wrote a book designed to teach children about the Bible. And in that book, he advocated believers' baptism. Immediately, Benjamin Keach was in trouble. He was arrested and put on trial. He was told that he would be kept in jail until he recanted his Baptist faith. To this, Keach announced he would never recount his views. So a different sentence was passed upon him. He would be sent to the pillory. He would be locked up in the stocks of Aylesbury Town Square. And his book would be openly burnt before his face. The crowd would then be free to hurl abuse and missiles at him for as long as they saw fit. Of course, we would be horrified if any sentence was passed in the UK like this today. But Benjamin Keach was not deterred. Incredibly, he saw his sentence as an opportunity. As he was dragged out into the open square and locked into the stocks before the crowd, he began to preach. He defended himself and the gospel with great boldness. He spoke about the love of Jesus until he was silenced by the jailer. Let me read you a report from the day to describe what happened next. On the pillory at Aylesbury, Mr. Keach defended himself and the truth with great boldness. The jailer frequently interrupted him and finally the sheriff himself threatened to have him gagged. The people... Contrary to custom, had no words of mockery for the good persecuted minister, and no offensive missile was hurled at him. An Episcopal minister who ventured to assail Mr. Keach in the pillory was immediately reproached by the people with the ungodliness of his own life. His voice was drowned in laughter. In many ways, Benjamin Keach was being persecuted by his own people. These were fellow Christians who passed this degrading sentence upon him. But through all the turmoil, Benjamin Keach's faith and upstanding character shone out. Indeed, the harsh judgment of his enemies rebounded upon them, for the crowd could see his integrity. The light of Jesus within him shone in the darkness. And many who saw it were attracted to it. Benjamin Keach was not afraid of persecution. Rather, he expected it. He didn't let it turn him away from proclaiming the gospel. Rather, he saw it as an opportunity. Interestingly, this is not the only thing that Benjamin Keach is known for. It is because of Keach that Baptists sing hymns in church. Prior to him, they never did. Baptist services were secret and underground, and singing out loud would have given away their location to the authorities. 
But Benjamin Keach would not have this. He wanted God's praises to abound regardless of the circumstances. And his church became the first hymn-singing Baptist church in the country. So if you're here tonight and you enjoy singing hymns, you've got Benjamin Keach to thank for it. Clearly then, Benjamin Keach refused to have his faith in Jesus silenced. And for that, he should be an inspiration to us all. Now, of course, Christians were not just persecuted in the 1600s. This has always been part of our story. As soon as the church began in the book of Acts, we read of Peter and Paul being arrested and mocked and jailed and stoned. And still today, you only need to go on to the Open Doors website to discover statistics about the persecution that is going on. Apparently, 360 million of our brothers and sisters are discriminated against because of their faith. That is one in seven Christians in the world. In Nigeria, 14 believers are killed on average every single day. Persecution comes to followers of Jesus and it will continue to do so until the day he returns. The question is, will we stand up against it? Will we keep the faith? Could it even be possible for us to see it as an opportunity for witness, just like Benjamin Keach did? What I love about this reading in the Gospel is that Jesus knows all of this in advance. He knows and he cares about what his followers will go through. So he sets out to advise and equip us with all that we will need to hold on. We're in the section of John's Gospel where Jesus is giving his final instructions to his friends. He's just moments away from being arrested himself. Hours away from death on the cross. And these words in John 14 to 16 are his heartfelt goodbye. Last week we saw Jesus giving his friends instructions about mission. He wants them to go out into the world and produce fruit. And they will do this by loving all that they come across, even those who are difficult to love. It's through love that people encounter God and his saving purposes for them. But Jesus doesn't want his followers to be naive. This task of producing fruit will not be an easy one. As they go out into the world to speak of him, they will encounter opposition. The opening words of our reading were blunt and fairly chilling. Verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Ultimately, the world rejected Jesus. That is how he ended up on the cross. It was part of the world's rebellion against God that has been going on ever since Adam and Eve in the garden. As our mission today is to continue what Jesus himself was doing, it's not just possible, it is inevitable that at some point the world will oppose us as well. But why is that the case? Why is the world so opposed to disciples of Jesus? Well, in the next few verses, Jesus begins to explain a few reasons. First of all, the world sees us as different to them. 
We stand out. We're not the same. We all know from our time at school that bullies attack people who are different. They're easy targets. And this is true for us in the world as well. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world because I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You see, when we come to know Jesus, the Bible says that we become new creations. We're given a new heart. We start to develop a new nature. And through our character and our actions, it soon becomes clear that we are no longer belonging to the world. We are no longer like everyone else. Jesus has chosen us and set us apart. And that is why there's opposition. It's because of our association with Jesus. It's because from the moment that we come to faith, the world around us begins to see something of Jesus in us. Verses 20 to 21. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus now goes on to explain a bit more as to why the world is so opposed to him. It's because when he came into the world, he exposed people's sin for all to see. Numerous times in this gospel, Jesus has been described as a light. Indeed, that's how he described himself. I am the light of the world, he said. When we hear those words, one of the things that we should think of is the way light exposes what was once hidden in shadow. Picture the way a dentist uses their light in their surgery. They shine a light into our mouths so they can clearly see where all the cracks, where all the decay is, where the problems are that need fixing. The light of Jesus has the same effect. It shows up our sin. In verse 22 he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse. In other words, Jesus has come into the world and he's taught people God's truth. He's taught people what is right and wrong. And how people have responded to him has clearly shown up the state of their hearts, whether they're for God or whether they're against him. In verse 24, he says the same about his actions. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and the Father. You see, as Jesus walked through the land, treating people kindly, challenging injustice, protecting the poor and the vulnerable, he has clearly demonstrated the way that God wants all of us to live. But as we compare our lives to him, we see just how we fall short of him. Just how selfish and uncaring we can be at times. Our sin is clearly exposed. No one likes being told they are wrong, do they? No one likes having their faults shown up. 
No one likes being told that they must apologise and change their behaviour. Sadly, on being challenged in this way, some people lash out and want to silence their critics. And that is exactly what happened to Jesus. And of course, Jesus made it clear that it was not just him who was to be a light in the world. He wanted his followers to go on and shine out for him as well. What was it he called for in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, part of our calling is to demonstrate to the world a different way of living. As such, our words and our actions, when like those of Jesus, are also going to expose the sin that is around us. We're going to make claims about what is right and wrong. We're going to contradict the lifestyles of the people that we live next to. And therefore, people will want to try and silence us as well. They did it to Jesus. They did it to Benjamin Keach. They will always do it. Jesus doesn't want us to be naive about this. He wants us to be ready for it. Now, I appreciate that this is all a bit heavy. No one comes to church thinking, great, we're going to talk about persecution this evening. How wonderful. Of course not. This is challenging and it's difficult to listen to. But I want us to notice that even here, there are a few encouragements for us to hold on to. First of all, in verse 25, Jesus quotes the Psalms to show how God's people have always been opposed, right down through the centuries. Jesus says, this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. That is a quote from two Psalms. Now, if God's people have always been persecuted, if Jesus himself was opposed, then that means we're in good company. Now, we experience very minor opposition in this country compared to what our brothers and sisters do around the world. But when we do have a colleague mock us or a neighbour pour scorn on our beliefs, rather than being downcast, we should see it as a sign that we're on the right track. They've obviously noticed something of Jesus in us. And that is a good thing. We should keep going. Secondly, we should remember that it was through opposition that God's plan of salvation came to be. It was only because Jesus was persecuted and put to death on the cross that we can be forgiven for our sin and promised eternal life. And still today, God's plans and purposes are progressing. Indeed, part of his judgment on the world is God watching how people respond to our ministry. What we must do is keep talking about Jesus and demonstrating him in our actions then the world is without excuse. The final encouragement comes from the mere fact that Jesus even spent time talking about this. Jesus uses some of his final precious words to forewarn us about this reality. <coughs> and it's another sign of God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge. Nothing that happens in our world catches God out. Nothing comes as a surprise to him. 
Even if we're being taunted for our faith, we can rest assured that God remains in control. These are encouragements that we can all hold on to. But Jesus actually wants to do more than just encourage us with inspiring words. He actually wants to equip us so that we're ready to face all that will come our way. And this is how our passage ended. Jesus makes another promise to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus truly believes that all opposition will be endurable when we have the Spirit living within us. Indeed, opposition can even be transformed into opportunity. This is verse 26 onwards. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. I'd like us to really try and grasp what good news it is that the Holy Spirit is with us in a time of challenge. And I think Jesus indicates three things here that the Holy Spirit will help us with. First of all, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will testify to the truth, the truth about him. And what this means is that Christian witness in the world doesn't all depend upon us. The Holy Spirit is going before us, paving the way. For an example of this, think about Saul becoming the Apostle Paul. At one stage, Saul was a great persecutor of the church. He traveled the land imprisoning Christians and putting them to death. He sat by as Stephen became the first martyr. And of course, Saul thought that he was acting for God by doing all of this. He thought he was zealously protecting the faith. Little did he know that he was actually acting as one of God's enemies. But on the Damascus Road, Saul's life was turned around. In meeting the risen Lord Jesus, he realized the error of his ways. And then, through the prayer of Ananias, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit totally transformed Saul's life. So much so, his name changed. He became a new person. When Paul himself testified about this experience, he wrote these incredible words in 1 Timothy 1. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is good news. Even those people who make our lives difficult as Christians can be turned around. The Holy Spirit can work in the heart of anyone to convince them of the truth about Jesus. It's not all up to us. So if there is someone in our life who we're finding very challenging because of the way they talk about our faith or they make fun of us, we should pray for them and ask for the Holy Spirit to move in their lives. And then we should keep going with what we know is right. The second thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do 
is that the Spirit will help us to testify about Jesus. When the Advocate comes, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. You see, the Holy Spirit will work through our words and actions to enable Jesus to become known, even in a world that is hostile against him. And this teaching is so important, it actually comes in many other places in the Gospels. Take this, for example, in Matthew 10. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit speaking through you. Or Luke 12, chapter 12. When you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now I guess most of us are not going to find ourselves arrested for being a Christian. So who knows what might come in the years ahead. But we will find ourselves in the coffee shop and the workplace where we're surrounded by a whole host of non-Christian friends and colleagues who are challenging us about what we believe. They may be asking their questions, genuinely wanting to find out the answers. Or they may be asking them to try and trip us up and make us look foolish. In those moments, we might not have a clue what to say. We might feel unable to respond or react. But Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will help us. The Holy Spirit will inspire us to give us the testimony that is needed. Finally, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will help us to keep standing firm. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. The Holy Spirit will help us to stand firm under pressure. The Holy Spirit will give us a, a supernatural strength and boldness. The Holy Spirit will deepen our confidence in faith. The Holy Spirit will assure us of eternal life. So the challenges of the present pale into insignificance. The Holy Spirit will not let us fall away. So Jesus has given us a warning about the opposition that we will face in life, purely because we follow him. It is inevitable. We will all face it at some point. And Jesus has told us this because he wants us to be ready. And he wants to encourage us to keep going with sharing our faith. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we might be fully equipped to face everything that comes our way. Of course, I cannot pretend that these things are easy. How painful it must have been for those early Christians to have been thrown out of the synagogues by their neighbours, friends and families. How painful it must have been for Benjamin Keach to see the book that he'd laboured on burnt before his very eyes. How difficult it is for us when friends and family ignore our witness about Jesus or even turn against us. These are hard moments. But with the Holy Spirit at work, there is always opportunity. Our job is to just keep speaking about Jesus. To keep loving and forgiving and showing Jesus in our actions. One thing is for sure. Nothing will stop God's purposes coming 
to be. I want to finish with a very quick good news story from the Open Doors website. An example of how God is still moving even in a place of persecution. In a house community built on stilts in the Philippines, Benita, a devoted Muslim and loving mother, lived close by to a Christian couple called Rosa and Henry. While Rosa's unwavering faith in Jesus was evident, Benita kept her distance, firmly believing Jesus to be just a prophet and not the saviour. In fact, Benita even joined in with those who mocked and persecuted Rosa and Henry and their small church. One day, Benita fell terribly sick. She experienced a high fever and developed boils on her body. She tried the local hospitals, but assumed it would be cheaper to seek help through witchcraft practices. She was distraught when she discovered the high price that these healers asked her to pay for their services. Crushed and desperate, Benita mustered the courage to seek help from the one place she never thought she would go, the local church. Tearfully, she confided to Rosa, saying, I never thought I'd end up here, but I've got nowhere else to turn to. My husbands and kids need me. With compassion, Rosa urged her to believe in Jesus, assuring her that only he could heal her. It took effort, but Benita called on Jesus' name, praying for healing and deliverance. I never thought I could do this, but I'll trust you, Jesus. Please heal me. And immediately she felt an unexplainable peace wash over her, as if Jesus was right there, embracing her with love and acceptance. She realised that she was not alone, and she began to feel hope in her heart. For the first time, she dared to believe that there was more to this life than she had ever imagined, and it all centred around the name of Jesus. A day later, Benita opened her eyes to find her sickness gone. Overwhelmed by the miracle, she gave her life to Jesus. But this newfound faith didn't just change her. It transformed her entire family. In tears, Benita says, I never thought I'd say this, but Jesus healed me and he saved us all. My family and I now believe in him wholeheartedly. Since their conversion, rather than persecuting the church, they are diligently attending it every week. God is still at work and we can pray and trust in him.